This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. All right, give him a call. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. Oh, Matt, it's you. <laughs> you, you were expect, you're expecting Pete Stoyakovich. No, it's uh, it's <laughs> Matt Sklinovich here. No, I'm back. I just I always answer my phone like that. I was just surprised it wasn't a client or somebody just ringing, perhaps our, <laughs> our parents. Yeah, well, it's it's good to be back. I can't believe you're not on a camping trip, are you? I'm not. No, I, I, I hear you had a good time, though. You were out of service for a while. Out of service for, for a considerable amount of time, but it's good to be it's good to be back, get the cans on here. Yeah, cans back on. <laughs> not really a term, I don't think, but... Uh, that's uh, it's an old timey radio that. term. I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> Google it. Uh, somebody <laughs> check into that. Um, I'm uh, yeah. I'm actually in Philadelphia. I think you you know that. Obviously, I'm at a podcast conference in Philadelphia. Yeah, this is ex- for a couple this days. Is exciting. And, uh, I mean, it's exciting that you you made the trip all the way to Philadelphia to for to just get our podcast going here. We're, we're trying to take the V-Rep community to the next level. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be out here. And, uh, yeah, some of our, our podcast favorites are uh, are here as well. So I think I'm kind of learning from the best, which is great. And, yeah, okay. uh, yeah good city. Nice city. Yeah, city of brotherly love. But uh, so what? You just... And sisterly sizzle. <laughs> is, that, is that what they say? 
I somebody said that. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> but wait, so I so two days ago I was driving. Uh, I had a long car trip across Western Canada, and I actually talked to you for a considerable length of time uh, when you were in a car as we're well. We were both driving. We were both driving, but you yeah. were supposed to. You are you were supposed to just take a flight, what, from Vancouver to Toronto and Toronto to Philadelphia? Yeah, I wasn't planning. Like, I didn't do the, the 50-hour drive <laughs> that it would take or whatever from from, from Vancouver yeah. to, to uh, Philadelphia. But, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, I had a, a major setback. I guess there was some some weather, not not in Philadelphia, but there's some bad weather in the path from Toronto to Philadelphia. So I ended up flying the morning of on on Sunday morning. I woke up at 5 a.m. and uh, had to get to the airport for my flight. Flew from Vancouver all the way to Toronto, which wasn't bad. It was a good flight, um, but then I had to ca- had a connecting flight from Toronto to Philadelphia, right? Uh, which was a few hours later. So. Um, anyways, really excited. I was going to get to Philadelphia at a good, in good time. It's only an hour and a half from Toronto to, to Philadelphia. So that's, uh, that's, you know, I would have been there kind of earlier in the evening, was hoping to uh, get out, explore the city. Well, yeah, because you, you don't know the city, right? So the, that's like a perfect opportunity. Conference starts Monday morning, you know, go out, uh, yeah. walk around and it's nice there. I had a had a friend of ours give us some rec- or give me some recommendations as to where to eat. So I was uh, yeah, I was excited, but uh, just didn't quite pan out. Go on. Well, yeah. In a nutshell, uh, got there at uh, got to the airport at the time that the the gate was supposed to be that we were supposed to be boarding, and uh, sat at the gate. It, it noticed that nothing was happening at uh, at at the time. So then I noticed that the time actually changed. It went back 30 minutes. Um, so I went and talked to the woman at the front. You know, so you, the Canada. departure time was uh, was The departure was time was delayed. back 30 minutes, just randomly with no announcement, nothing. So I went up and talked to her and she said, yeah, it looks like there's some weather issues. So we're actually uh, delayed here for a bit, but we'll get you guys on very soon or there'll be another announcement to catch you up shortly. So uh, I took a walk, ended up sitting there for a bit, then uh, noticed that the time went back another hour. Um, so at this point, we're delayed the same amount of time. Basically, when I'm supposed to be arriving in, in Philly right. is, is, is when we haven't even boarded yet. Um, so everyone's kind of starting to get a bit you know, frustrated. And uh, finally, another 30 minutes later, they decide they're going to board the plane. Um, we boarded the plane. That's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, yeah, great sign. So we, we boarded the plane, and everyone was just kind of sitting there. And the captain, the first thing he said was, "You know what, guys? We're not we're uh, we're not taking off here immediately. We're just waiting for the go ahead. Um, uh, it might be just a little bit of time, but relax. Feel free to use your phones. You know, we'll, we'll catch you up to speed in probably about thirty minutes." Which is so now I'm which, sitting. It's amazing though, like because it's it's not pleasant sitting in an airport waiting, but it's oh, way worse when you're so on much a plane. better than the plane. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Oh, yeah. Wait, wishing you were back. Yeah, so this is the best part. After 30 minutes, it's like smoking hot on this plane. It's uh, you can barely breathe because they don't want to use the gas for the air conditioning. It's for conserving, I guess, the, the gas on the plane. Save the world. So they yeah. don't, they, the, the plane's literally off and we're just sitting in like a, like a, you know, sealed <laughs> can basically. 
where it's just like it's just like body heat and like you know you're pressed up against your neighbor and the amount and, of uh, the anger <laughs> must have just created the friction well, <laughs> was creating well this is 30 this is 38 minutes in and they kept us up to date every 30 minutes it went for an hour and a half sitting on that plane and finally the guy comes in on the announcement and he goes and we hear the the plane firing up so we're like oh yeah we're getting out of here and everyone starts to get pretty excited and then he gets on the uh he gets on the uh, pa system and he says actually guys uh another flight actually has to leave from this gate so uh we're gonna actually get going here and just go park in a field and we've got about another 30 minutes or so <laughs> until until we uh we'll have an update as to whether or not we're leaving this evening thanks guys and then he got off and literally we just started we driving. Just drove around yeah. the tarmac and, and parked in like the middle of a field while another plane took off. I, we, I'm sure everybody's sitting. been in that situation, right? Like the, I, there's nothing worse than taxiing in a plane when, you're, when oh, you know it's God. like to nowhere. Yeah. So now it's been, now it's, it's honestly, it's past 10 o'clock. Uh, we've been on this plane because it was another 30 minutes of, you know, just sitting out in the field. And uh, finally, he comes on and says, you know what, guys, that flight's been canceled. We're going to taxi back to the gate and, uh, you know, really sorry. Um, have a great night. And we taxied back to the gate. All of us got off the plane and it was pretty much close to midnight at this point. But the craziest part is we we after after all of this, I, I I'm like, what am I going to do? Am I going to? Uh, we need to get another flight. Maybe I'll just go get a hotel for the night, but it's midnight. So it's not exactly an easy task. Yeah. Um, so I waited on the phone with air Canada for about 45 minutes. And finally I got someone and they said, yeah, we can get you. The next flight is two days from now. So I'd miss half the conference. So I, I was like, that's, you know, that's completely unacceptable, but she couldn't, she tried a bunch of different ways to, to get me on an earlier flight and uh, it couldn't happen. So, um, I decided that I would go down to budget at, this is almost now like they closed at one o'clock. I guess it was like probably 1250 and I raced downstairs and I, the, she was like closing up and I was like, I need a, I need a car. I'm going to drive to Philadelphia, which is like an, an eight hour drive. Yeah. At this point I've been up since five in the morning and, uh, or, or even a little bit earlier than that. And, uh, I'm looking pretty rough. Like I'm looking like, uh, like the like Nick Nolte's mugshot, um, like <laughs> basically. And uh, you described and, it to uh, me. Uh, you when you talked to me the other day, you said you looked like David Hasselhoff when he's eating that hamburger in the drunk video. <laughs> yeah, I looked like David Hasselhoff on the floor asking for a cheeseburger. Um, it was it was it was uh, you know like the highs and lows, and you're you're kind of just yeah, it was just a sort. You were down anyway. So I got she. She's like, I have one vehicle left. It's basically a, like a Chevy Suburban. Like it's huge. This massive vehicle. <laughs> it's like a nine seater. <laughs> it's like you're taking a yeah, bus. Yeah, for, for one guy in like a backpack basically <laughs> and like a small carry-on. Mm-hmm. Um, but So I ended up renting this car and uh, I drove as far as the border. And then I realized that I looked so rough that I probably, you know, like trying to get over the border at two in the morning when when you're you know just a mess from being in airports and being stressed and everything else so i ended up sleeping in this super uh super eight motel or hotel which was uh you know the kind of place that you would go had you just 
murdered someone and you were hiding out. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a bad night. It was all around a bad night. And then I, anyways, I got here. So, and then the next day you crossed over what near Detroit and you drove through the northeastern part of the U S in a Chevy suburban. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tony Soprano style. Like, <laughs> like get a cigar in your mouth with the smokestacks going yeah, on. like woke up this morning. Yeah, like Just on repeat like on your like, phone? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was, uh, I, yeah, it was, uh, I won't it forget It felt pretty good, sure. yeah. Yeah, but no, it's good to, it's good to be here. I'm here and I'm, and you know what? First day was like the best day of the conference so far, so. Had I missed it, I, I would have been, uh, well, I would have never known how good it was, but it would have been upsetting. Yeah, that would have been unbelievable had you traveled across North America to to miss a conference. But uh, no, it's planes, trains, yeah. and automobiles. Well, it's good to hear you're enjoying yourself. I'm excited to hear about it. Uh, I was in a tent, so I couldn't attend. But uh, yeah, let's get to the episode. We haven't even introduced the episode. Yeah, what is? what are we doing today? Well, today, it's like, as promised, about a month ago, we had Brad J. Lamb, developer, uh, real estate kind of guru, Brad Lamb on the podcast, what, months, maybe a month or six weeks ago. And Brad, we asked Brad, what's your favorite real estate book? And Brad Lamb said, read The Condominium Millionaire by Brad J. Lamb. So we've had a lot of people reach out to us and, and ask about this book and how to get it. And and uh, we've just decided, you know what? We're going to give you the Coles Notes version of Brad J. Lamb's famous The Condominium Millionaire. He's got eight rules on how to get rich through real estate investing. So it's a, it's a super useful book to distill. Yeah. For people that didn't hear that episode, please go back and check it out. It was a great it's, episode. It's a great one. Um, but I mean, he's a, he's a real estate developer. He's based out of Toronto. He was a, a formerly a reality TV star. His, his, um, real estate team has sold over 22,000 condos and over $8 billion in real estate sales. Yeah. He's a real um, So I mean, he is, if there's, if there's a guy to, uh, you know, if there's a guy who's willing to give you kind of eight tips for how to, uh, how to build wealth and get rich in real estate, it's definitely Brad J. Lamb. So uh, we really appreciate him coming on the show and giving us a copy. And uh, we're going to definitely add our own tips as well, because he's primarily talking about the Toronto market specifically, right? right. But I mean, everything's applicable. But I think there's a few kind of caveats when you're uh, when you're talking about tr- or Vancouver, which uh, which we'll cover today. Yeah, well. exactly. I mean, it's it's taking the condominium millionaire uh, and uh, and uh, seeing how it relates to Vancouver. And yeah, I think a lot of it's for applicable. Sure. We should say as well, we asked for a book. Uh, Brad called it a book. It, he in in the write up on describing what the condominium millionaire is, he calls it the Coles Notes version. Uh, for real estate investing, uh, and we're going to give you the Coles Notes version of the Coles Notes version here. So stay tuned yeah. for that. We should actually come up with a line of books that does that. That gives you the Spark Notes of the Spark Notes. Well, he calls it Coles Notes. You can tell he's Canadian. I think. Oh yeah, is Spark Notes? Is that the difference, Canadian versus the American? I think I so. I think so. Okay, so let's cut to our Coles Notes version of the Condominium Millionaire. Enjoy. And this is the thing that people don't understand. It is that easy. It's that simple. You buy real estate, you rent it for more money than it costs you, 
and you put it away forever. Like I lived at my parents' house till I was 30 or 31. And I, I, when I left my parents' house, I was a millionaire. And in 1980, 1990, that was a lot of money. Um, and I only could do that because I accumulated every dollar I could and I invested in real estate. But the one piece of advice I'd say is do everything you can to get your money in the system without taking, and this is the balance, without taking too big a risk and, and, you know, and, and over investing and getting yourself in trouble. So it's a balance. I'll tell you, I wrote a book, Let. <laughs> it's called The Condominium Millionaire. This book is 25 pages long. Read it. It'll show you exactly what you have to do and how you have to do it. All right, so we're here to distill the condominium millionaire, Brad J. Lamb's book on how to get rich through real estate investing, and we're going to take it and put it into the Vancouver context here. So, Adam, let's start with rule number one. Rule number one, Matt, is buy for the long term. Now, this is advice that Brad J. Lamb would give you. It's, it's real estate advice that we've been giving out for since we started the podcast and well before that. W- what do we mean? Well, here's the thing, right? I mean, recessions come and go. And when you're in a recession, it's really easy. Just don't panic. Don't sell. It's not the time to sell. And I think what a lot of people, you know, a lot of people are concerned about timing the buy. Don't worry about timing the buy. Worry about timing the sell. And the longer you hold that property, the better position that you're going to be in. Because what happens in markets, especially over longer periods of time, is there's going to be ups and downs, peaks and valleys, but over the long term, you will make money. The price of the house or the condo or the townhome, it will increase over long periods of time. Yeah, and I mean, you've got some stats in front of you looking at Vancouver home prices since, what, 1977? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Let's see, if we look at like the last 40 years in Vancouver, in 1977, if I was going to buy a detached house in Greater Vancouver, the average price was under $100,000, okay? Now, 40 years later, we're looking at $1.75 million for the average price in Greater Vancouver for a detached house. Now, you know, I mean, we've seen astronomical gains in this market, but when you look at housing markets and you look at charts over time, what you'll see is you'll see peaks and valleys, but the, the peak, the next peak, so the next kind of increase in real estate value will typically be higher than the previous peak. Yeah, as long as, that as, long as, as so, exactly, as long as you don't sell in the valley when you're panicking. Well, that's the thing. So don't sell in the valley, wait for the next peak and hold. And I mean, like, this is the thing that we've been saying for a long time. There's, there's plenty of opportunities for short-term gains in real estate, but if you're looking to collect doors and if you're looking to build wealth over long periods of time, Really, you should be buying real estate to keep. Well, you know what? And this reminds me, I mean, this is what we say. This is what Brad says. This is what Dustin Woodhouse, we had him on. Are you a genius investor? Uh, over a year ago now. And the consensus is, if you put a tenant in and you hold that property for 25, 30 years, you're going to own that property outright at the end. So set it, forget it. Don't worry about the next three to six months. Buy and hold for the long term. So the other thing that Brad points out in this first uh, rule of his book 
is, you know, you don't want to necessarily focus on timing the buy, but you can time the buy. And this actually reminds me of Vancouver right now. Brad writes, the wealthiest and smartest real estate investors buy when the market offers additional buying incentives such as lower pricing or slower markets. So in times when everybody's screaming, take a look at that trending graph from 1977 onwards and ask yourself, 20 years from now, what's that graph going to look like? Right now might be an awesome time to be buying real estate. Sound advice. Rule number two. Number two, get wealthy through leverage, a.k.a. other people's money. Yeah, you down with OPM? Uh, yeah, you know me. <laughs> I've, been, I've been down so, with OPM my entire life, specifically my dad's. <laughs> so, the, the bank of mom and dad. Yeah, exactly. The bank of mom and dad. So uh, get wealthy through leverage. I mean, this is a tried and true uh, real estate practice, right? So Adam, spell out exactly what we're talking about when we are talking about leverage. You know, Matt, I was just actually talking to someone the other day and they said to me, Oh, you know, my place is worth six fifty. Uh, that's that's okay, I guess. I mean, I paid five hundred k, so I guess I'm up quite a bit. Um, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, you did pay five hundred k, so you bought a condo worth five hundred k. But really, you only put twenty percent down. In other words, you paid a hundred thousand dollars. The bank floated the rest, right? Exactly. So now you're in a position where you've put a hundred thousand dollars down, and you're up a hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So you've more than doubled your money on this investment in a very short period of time. So what real estate can do is it can allow you with a very small amount of money to carry a very large asset and allow that to perform in a market that can be, you know, I mean, it can be soft, it can be very buoyant, or it can do extremely well, like the last 40 years in Vancouver. Well, and yeah, and to spell it out another way, if you have $100,000 and you make 5% on that, that's $5,000. If you take $100,000 and buy real estate for $500,000 and you make 5% on it, do the math. That's 25k, right? So, right. you get that is exactly leverage in a nutshell right there. And real estate is one of the few investment vehicles where you can use that leverage to your advantage and that's why it's so powerful. Absolutely. And I I think most people that listen to this show are fans understand leverage probably better than better than most. So, what about rule 3? Rule three, have your tenant pay your mortgage. Okay, so this is this is basic common sense, but the idea is that you buy a property, ideally you cash flow on the property. It's very challenging to do in our city. So if you can actually break even, you know, put down 30%, 25% and have a tenant paying off your mortgage, you know, after 25 year amortization, you might have a property completely paid off and that's paid off by your tenants over time. That's right. Every month you're building equity and it's coming off of the uh, the labor and fruits of somebody else paying it down, right? And you know what? Specifically in the context of 2018, we've had the stress test come in at the beginning of the year. We've had a couple interest rate increases. We've had all sorts of government uh, policy changes. The market's kind of slowing down. All of these things mean that some people that want to buy real estate actually can't afford to buy real estate right now, especially when you think of the stress tests. And other people have taken a step back and said, hey, I'm going to take a wait and see. But what that really translates into is more people not living in properties they own themselves, but renting. So it's a fantastic time right now to have a investment property that you're renting out. Oh, for sure. And and the thing that actually gets me most excited about, you know, the potential for revenue properties is 
just think about the economy as a scale and, and think about having several revenue properties. They don't all have to be in Vancouver. It could be greater Vancouver. It could be other areas in Canada. It could be all over the world. But this idea of an army of tenants building wealth for you over time, you know, if you had four properties that you purchased today and you had four tenants in those properties, at the end of 25 years, you'll have four properties that are paid down if you can just make the numbers work. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's an amazing thing. An army of, an army of people building you wealth. I like that. Rule number four. Condominiums are the best investment. Now this is Brad, Brad, Brad is very specific about this point. And here's the thing, right? Because Brad Lamb, he sells condos. This Lamb sells condos. That's actually his, uh, that's actually his brand name. And he sells a lot of condos. He sells a lot of condos. This is a guy that's basically, as a broker, he sold a lot of condos. As a as a team leader, as a brokerage owner, he sold a lot of condos. As a developer, he built condominium buildings. He is all in when it comes to condos. So, of course, it's in Brad's best interest to promote condos, but he also loves condos just for how easy they are. Right. So, so break it down. What is the logic behind condos? Because he's not just saying condos are the best. He's got specific points. Well, yeah, and I mean, here's the thing. For for investors that don't want a lot of work, condos are very hands-off, right? You basically, you have a maintenance fee that you have to carry. You have your your, uh, mortgage payments. Um, Your tenant typically pays for all the utilities. And then you have your property taxes and maybe your property manager. But these are things that you just kind of set and forget. They're covered. Money goes, money goes out, money comes in. That's all you have to worry about. And typically you don't have to worry about repairs, especially if you're buying in a newer building with, with a strong operating fund and a, a healthy contingency fund, right? Right. And, and, you know, any building, there's very few buildings that are self-managed, so you don't even have to worry. I mean, strata, the strata council is going to meet and, and, um, they're going to vote on things and you can be a part of that, but there's still a professional property management company that takes care of the building, right? So it is is the exactly. definition of hands-off. And his his logic is also that in most cases, you have the, the economies of scale of the building, right? Everybody paying a portion. You have your unit entitlement. So you can imagine in a building where if you had 300 units, your unit entitlement for a one-bedroom might be 0.002, which basically means that on a million-dollar assessment, you're on the hook for two thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. The not risk a lot is, of money. The risk right? is not there. Well, yeah, it's spread out among many units, and you're not in a position where if you're owning a house and you're renting it out, where the roof goes, and you might be out of pocket twelve thousand dollars immediately, right? Right. And that could be a, a big chunk of the the principal that you've built up over the course of that year, gone instantly, right? Just in maintenance. Well, and the other thing, and this is something you see often, I mean, so those are all good points for, for owning a condo. The other uh, thing is that certain investors, you know, especially sort of novice uh, investors will say, hey, I want to get into the, the real estate market. They get a tenant. There's a couple of headaches early on, you know, a pipe blows, uh, you know, the problem tenant, whatever. This This isn't for me. They sell their property after four or five years, and they don't really benefit from that long-term hold that is essentially rule number one because the headaches are kind of overwhelming. Condominiums right. are your best strategy, especially if you have a full-time job, you have uh, kids and a partner, you know, everybody's busy. A condo is 
going to have the fewest number of headaches and it's going to be the easiest to manage, the easiest to hold on for a very long time and benefit from that uh, long-term strategy. Yeah, exactly. And one little final point here, because this is a conversation that we had with Brad um, on the previous podcast, but it's also this idea that he would rather own 100 condo units in 100 different buildings than own one apartment building with 100 units. Does that make sense? Um, And and the reason is because, first of all, condo buildings, his argument is that condo buildings outperform apartment buildings. Um, Typically, they're nicer. Typically, there's more end users that maintain the buildings. Um, typically, they're they're newer, and typically you have the the option of selling to an end user as well. Um, so they often rent for higher. They're they're better investments overall, and you're diversified, right? Because you can pick and choose where you have that unit, which city you want to buy in, or, or perhaps different areas in the city. Yeah, but you can be very selective and carry lower risk, right? Absolutely. So you know. One thing that I think we've talked about on the podcast and long-time listeners will know this is, um, and this is just a counterpoint in Vancouver, right? Because we would say, and I would still argue, that buying a single-family home in Vancouver is the best investment strategy. But Brad makes some really compelling cases why condos um, are are really attractive investments. But I do think long-term owning dirt in Vancouver is going to pay dividends in the future. Well, you know, it's, it's one thing. Here's the biggest difference between us and Toronto is that Toronto has a lot more sprawl and we are a landlocked city and density in the end will win. Yeah. Even, even though, even though it feels like we're going one step forward, two steps back in Vancouver all the time. Uh, I think you're right. And having, you know, the potential for a land assembly, if you have a single family home or an up zone to a duplex or something, even some RM zoning uh, where you're going to get multifamily is, is a real benefit. And I mean, it's really kind of simple economics to think about the city of Vancouver every single year. And this is true. It's true every year. It will be true moving forward. Every single year, there are fewer single family homes in the city of Vancouver and you can't build more. So there's a scarcity mm-hmm. issue there uh, that makes them really attractive. But, you know, like uh, the counterpoint, of course, is, you know, s- single-family homes are headaches. You're the sole owner, and uh, and they're a lot more work for sure. So you have to be willing to take that yeah. on. And rule number five, Matt. Rule number five, only buy condos from floor plans prior to the start of the construction. Here's why. Now, of course, he's talking about pre-sales. And we've talked at length about the pros and cons of buying pre-sale condos um, over the years that we've been recording this podcast. You know, I mean, his his idea is that you can often get incentives, you can buy the plan so there's less competition because a lot of people want to see the tangible end product. Um, he also loves the idea, and, and we love this idea as well, of, of uh, percentage down over the course of a long period of time just because Usually with pre-sale, say it's 15%, that could be spread out in three payments uh, over the course of a year and a half, call it, where you don't have a lot of money tied up in this product. And at the end of three to five years, when the project is complete, chances are that you've ridden out any kind of um, you know, a recession and the condo has likely gone up over that length yeah, of or, time. Yeah, or not not even ridden out a recession, but potentially if it's a bull market, right, you're you're seeing a run-up the entire time that you actually, it's just being built. 
Of course, and and that's of course what we've seen in uh, in BC, where everybody has been reassigning these properties for huge gains over the yeah, last. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, the, the four to five years. The the idea is it's going to be worth more at the end, and rents are going to be higher five years from now than they are today. So th- this is kind of interesting because this has always been a, a it's a tried and true strategy here in Vancouver to buy off plans or buy a presale property for all these reasons. The the one uh issue that I think has really changed is, you know, the secrets out for presale uh, properties in terms of people essentially speculating on the market or just buying an investment property and prices have come up so dramatically and we've talked about this on on the podcast that uh often you are buying whereas Brad's saying you're going to get a 10 to 20% discount because you can't see what you're buying, which is true traditionally in Vancouver, you're actually now paying 10 to 20% more potentially, or maybe even more than that, because developers are saying, we're going to build in that profit over the three to five years because demand is so high that we can basically, we can basically do that and people are still going to buy. Right. Or, or a portion of it. Right. And I, and I think that's the thing there are, the developers are always doing their pro formas at, the projected price per square foot, which is always higher than what's what's on the market um, currently, right? The resale market, properties that are already built. So I think you know this is a, probably an apt opportunity for you and I to remind everybody of of a strategy that we put forth uh, in a previous episode, where target the areas where there's a lot of new development, where developers are charging a real premium for their product, and buy something that's a few years old in that area because it you get a huge discount, first of all, on the condo that you're buying in that area. But your property should rise with the tide and you'll have an expert marketing company with a huge budget promoting this the new property in the area at an astronomical price per square foot. And chances are, you know, all things considered, the value of your property will increase with that marketing. Yeah, I mean, all uh, the word Joyce comes to mind. You know, Joyce Skytrain yeah. Station area <laughs> is, uh, you know, Joyce uh, three years ago suggested something to me that it doesn't suggest now because West Bank has a project called Joyce right by the Joyce Skytrain Station, and they've essentially rebranded that whole neighborhood. And West Bank also sold that project for basically what, uh, five to seven hundred dollars more a square foot than what the buildings in that area that are about ten years old sell for. So right. to me, there's there's a really op- a big opportunity there that we've talked about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And I mean, there's also the value hey, when you buy something that's already, you know, your costs and you, you know what you're going into. You have a rate hold in place, so you can. Basically, it's it's a comfortable way to buy an investment property. And on top of that, you get to plug a tenant in there immediately and start building equity, which is important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, off plans, you wait three, four years, which can be very attractive. Uh, But at the same time, three, four years of a tenant paying down your mortgages is definitely something that shouldn't be overlooked. So rule number six, only buy condos in big cities. Uh, we're huge proponents of, of cities uh, right now, especially future cities like Vancouver and Toronto. Um, but, you know, one thing we've talked about ad nauseum on the show is millennials and baby boomers want the same thing. They want convenience. They want location. They want to be downtown. They want to be in a vibrant area. They want walkability. You know, they want that 90 plus walk score. 
And uh, that's that's what they're excited about. So, I mean, that to me suggests that urban centers right across Canada and the U.S. are especially in progressive cities uh, that are kind of known for, for being on the cusp of, um, you know, uh, walkability, et cetera. Um, those, that's where you want to be investing right now, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, and Brad outlined seven key points here. And Adam, you started covering them about why you should cover why you should buy in big cities. First, cities are are diverse economically, demographically. You're never going to buy in, say, an oil town. uh, And and actually, there's a realtor that used to be in our office who was buying up properties in small towns in Saskatchewan, and they were booming when the oil boom was on. But it was that one industry, uh, specific towns that basically dried up. You're the diversity that comes with a large city's economy really protects your investment. Number two, population growth trends and demographic trends favor large cities. Exactly what you said, millennials, downsizers, most people are keen to to live close to city centers right now. Number three, green and environmental concerns uh, mean that people are moving away from cars. They're moving away from uh or suburban sprawl and are more receptive to living uh, and actually just want to live in in city centers and and large city centers that are heavily populated. Four, landlords uh, need or want wealthy young tenants earning 50K or more. These bright young people congregate in cities. Five, higher city rents and wealthier tenants mean less default for unpaid rent. Uh, think about Vancouver. If you're looking for good tenants, uh, larger cities often have uh, people that are not necessarily ready to buy in a large city where it's quite expensive, uh, but have good jobs, good educations, and uh, are really keen to keep their credit score uh, as high as possible. Six, and we've talked about housing density a lot today uh, and in past programs, uh, there's a need for more housing. There's definitely a need for more housing and more condos in Vancouver. Everyone is getting used to the idea that they may not live in a single-family home if they're in the city of Vancouver. They're going to live in condos. That's the new norm. And seven, no one is building meaningful quantities of purpose-built apartments right now. And you can see there's the debates that have been raging about the need for purpose-built rental in Vancouver. And for whatever reason, and it's not this uh, episode that we can go into it, it just seems like that's not going to happen. There's just the the margins aren't there for developers to build a lot of, to build a lot of purpose-built rental. So condos are the way of the future and renters are going to be in them. So that's why Brad is super keen on condos in big cities, and uh, and I think we would both uh, agree with that. I well, you know, I mean, even you know, I I, I hate to reference just anecdotal kind of uh, data, but like, what are we seeing in our client base? Is everybody wants to move to the city? Everybody wants to get rid of one car or potentially two cars. And I got to tell you, living on Union. Um, Oh, the yeah. amount of bike traffic in in uh, Vancouver is increasing dramatically. Like people want to get away from that lifestyle of the long commute, and you know, I think uh, even as frustrating as the transition is at sometimes, um, you know, I think I think having a green, progressive city that's walkable and and uh, looking forward 
uh, it's going to be one for the future for sure. No kidding. And uh, you know what? Since we're actually in the the Union Street podcast studio right now, and even since you, you guys are in my house, we're in your house. And let me tell you, it is <laughs> sweltering. Sweltering. sweltering oh my god it's okay. unbelievable but uh well we got our permits s- finally since so, uh, yeah. so there's gonna be ac maybe three years from now <laughs> uh yeah. but uh no i should say i'm just about the bike route i mean i remember when yeah we were talking about you buying this house and and you know the quiet uh the quiet of union because it's a bike road and and it's traffic calmed and everything else it is dangerous uh getting out of your car on the street i think we've said it before but there's it is like a highway it's unbelievable and uh i have oh. visitors come to the city and they're always blown away when they watch people riding down union 10 10 bikes deep yeah exactly and if it's the weekend they're drunk from the microbreweries so right number seven only buy junior one bedroom one bedroom one bed and den and smaller two bedroom suites yeah and the reason obviously for this and we've we've talked about this before as well but, you know, Brad is suggesting that you want to target young professionals, and that's basically what their size requirements are at that part of their life when they're renting, before they have families. They want either the junior one bed, if it's a single person, if it's a couple, it's probably a one and den or a junior two bed. But there's a large pool of potential renters that have the money to afford good rents that will stay for a period of time. And, 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 and they're just not ready to, and they're just not ready to, to pull the trigger themselves yet. Yeah. But, but there's another point that we also uh, wanted to bring up that, you know, when you buy the smaller units in the building, they're always very popular and they're tough to get, um, you know, especially if you're looking at pre-sales, but there's a reason for that. They're the, they're the entry level price points and typically the numbers on a, on a rent per square foot and a price per square foot buy-in usually translate into the best cap rates, right? Yeah. And you know what? One point to that, I mean, it's it, the buy-in's more attractive, the rent per square foot's more attractive. And what that means is there's more uh, investors interested in those units. So you hold the unit for 15, 20, 25 years. That's not going to change. A one-bedroom is always going to be attractive, and it's going to be attractive to both end users and investors. And the pool for people who are interested in buying that property when you go to sell is just going to be all the bigger. Absolutely. And and one thing we're seeing in our city is, man, if, you, if you're selling anything right now, uh, you know, you really hope it's at the entry level of the market. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So last but not least, rule number eight, get rich one property at a time. So some more sound advice from uh, Brad J. Lamb, but uh, he's basically saying, you know, this is not something if you're if you're looking to acquire you know say a portfolio of 25 doors over your your lifespan it doesn't mean that you necessarily should go out and buy 25 doors tomorrow um that might not be the best plan especially if you're new to um becoming a landlord um but set goals set realistic goals maybe you want to have 25 properties by the time you're 50 years old so basically i would work the math back and figure out what's an appropriate amount of money that I need to be saving and investing in the market and also figuring out which type of properties and which areas that you can target with a realistic budget, right? I mean, it might be hard to get 25 properties in if, uh, if, you're, if your borrowing power doesn't cover those kind of costs, but it doesn't mean that you can't acquire revenue properties in an area like Halifax or um, perhaps another city, right? So yeah. 
think about what your goals are. Think about how many doors you want to have and set realistic goals, but take them on, you know, one bite at a time. Yeah, don't, uh, don't, don't get overwhelmed. Uh, don't let big dreams kind of um, suffocate you. A wise man once said, how are we going to eat this elephant? One bite at a time. Which reminds me, Matt, why do elephants drink so much? Wait, what? Why? Because they're trying to forget. So there you have it, folks. Our distillation of The Condominium Millionaire by Brad J. Lamb. And Matt, you know, it's always great uh, poaching other people's work for the benefit of our own podcast. But, Absolutely. You know, as we were going through, uh, as we were going through Brad's booklet, we realized that, you know what, we both had very similar advice. And I mean, we've given a lot of these tips over the years of doing this podcast. So we thought it was a good time to kind of just go through, talk about Brad's perception of the market and where he sees opportunities and apply that to the Vancouver market. And obviously there's some differences um, but really, we hope you took something away from that. Absolutely, yeah. So what else do we got? We got the VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Yeah, Matt, we've got VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com where you can find resources like private client services. If you're not using private client services, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices. You get listing updates 36 to 72 hours before other public MLS searches. You also get realtor-level information, days on market, it is the best research tool out there. If you're not using it, you're falling behind. That's exactly it. There is no better research tool out there than private client services. We also have a mobile app that basically gives you all the information of private client services, but is useful for on the go. Picture this, Matt. You're in a piping hot airplane taxing to the nearest field. You go by a farmer's house, point the phone and click. Oh, look, the farmer's house is for sale. Now I have a place to stay tonight now that my flight has been canceled. <laughs> That's the best pitch for augmented reality I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, am I a little jaded from that experience? Uh, anyways, the only other thing I wanted to, wanted to say, um, we've had a lot of people reaching out to us lately, and we always ask people how they heard about the podcast. And more often than not, we've been realizing that it's, they heard it from a family member or a friend and, uh, or somebody that they work with. Yeah, and we just want to take this time to just thank everybody for word of mouth referring the podcast out. And we really appreciate it. If you guys are taking something away from this program, uh, the biggest compliment really, after lots of thought into this, the biggest compliment that you can really do us is, is to just share it with one person in your life that you think would benefit from it. And uh, we would be forever grateful. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And if you want to reach out to me, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And you, Adam? Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And we also have the nonpartisan line. Info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, Take care, guys. Have a good week, Matt. I might uh, I might call you from the suburban on the on the drive back. You're taking the. Just kidding. I'm, I'm, you're not driving I'm that all the way to, to Vancouver. Fly. Get the cigar. No, get the tunes. It, I'm going to drive it till the wheels fall off and uh, continue spinning. <laughs> all right. Well, enjoy the rest of of the week in uh, in Philadelphia, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah, you know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer, and they're looking for both donations, and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 